and welcome to your RAF Mildenhall Protestant Parish Podcast. We pray that today's message inspires and encourages your heart. Get ready for a life-changing word from the Lord. Amen. Happy Sunday. Can y'all give our praise and worship team a round of applause? They don't know it, but uh, the spirit of God was moving and working through them uh, because they were singing and I was like, ooh, that's good. Because that's literally what we're about to talk about today. Y'all ready? There's a lot that he just said and led into. I said, he's preaching my sermon. So we are going to dive in to some things today that my prayer is that it will bless you um, moving forward. And also, uh, I pray that it will bless somebody else because you're going to share it, right? You're going to share it, right? Y'all heard the chapel news. You can see this on YouTube. And so that's, you can share that. You know that, right? Y'all looking at me like, I'm not sharing that chat. Well, you can. I encourage you to do so. Um, because I think today's a message and worship service will bless somebody's life, okay? Um, I hope you are all happen to having a great weekend. Uh, I am. Uh, my wife is gone and left me with the kids, and I get to do all of that stuff. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things that you learn a lot about yourself um, when you have to be by yourself with these kids. And um, you start to appreciate some things, too. Uh, but this is definitely a stage where, you know, you preach things, and then when things happen, you're like, ooh, now I have to live it. And, and that's what I've experienced the last uh, several weeks with my wife being TDY and uh, doing her thing out in Germany. Uh, but, you know, with that being said, God is still faithful. God is good. And we are here. Somebody asked me, they was like, how you doing, chap? I said, I'm here. And uh, I don't know if you know, if you've ever been there, but that is a huge victory for me. I'm like, yes, we made it. I wasn't sure. I woke up this morning. I was like, it's raining too? And it's Sunday? And people like to drive like a Sunday? We made it. So I was, I was shouting a little bit. I was like, yes, we made it. And so my prayer is that uh, this message will uh, restore you, revive you, and encourage you uh, like it has been for me. Because I've been meditating on this word for a while. And like I said, I've had to use it already. And I pray that uh, it will bless you as well. So, a little bit of a recap. Uh, last time I was with you, you may remember, or maybe not, but you may remember we talked about Gideon. We dove into Judges chapter 6, and we looked at his story, and we picked some meat off the bone. And uh, previously, we looked at two main ideas. Uh, one we thought about this idea of what did God say? What did God say? Believing what God said 
and believing it to be true. And then we looked at kind of the same thing, but more along the lines of what did God show? So what did God show? Things that we're always asking uh, God to uh, show me a sign, let me know, make it clear. And sometimes the things that he's showing us is right in front of you. He's like, that's it. I don't know what you was looking for, but that's it. That's the answer. And we have to be able to trust and have eyes for the evidence right in front of us. Being able to see what God is doing in our lives. And so today, we will look at, even after hearing what God has said and seeing what God is showing us, why trusting all of that might still be an issue. God has shown it to me. God has told it to me. But sometimes it can still be hard to say, ah, I trust you, God. And so we'll look at that and we'll also look and examine how to reframe that. Okay, and to do that, I want to bring you to a familiar text. Guess what the text is? Guess what? Guess, guess what the text is? Judges 6. Y'all have your Bibles turned to Judges chapter 6, verse 11 through 13. Judges, the chapter is 6. And we will look through verses 11 through 13. Now, this is what I'm going to read for you on today. But just for warning, we're actually going to look at the entirety of chapter 6 and 7. I will spare you the reading simply because I don't like reading out loud. However, we will go through, I will paraphrase a lot of chapter six and seven for you so we can get an idea of Gideon's story, at least as it starts, because that's the best part. All right, Judges chapter six, verses 11 through 13. And the Bible says, now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak at Ophrah which belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty warrior. Some translations may translate it mighty man of valor. You mighty warrior. Verse 13, Gideon answered him, but sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our ancestors recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has cast us off and given us into the hands of Midian. All right. All right. Y'all okay? Okay. All right. Some of y'all gave me, some of y'all looking at me like, we'll see. Keep going. Judges chapter 6. My baby boy, he's one. My little baby boy, a lot of times, if you've ever seen him, um, particularly around here or even at the CDC, what have you, uh, a lot of times uh, you'll see him and, you know, he has that little cute face on and people want to interact. Hey, baby boy, what's going on? And a lot of times they'll try to interact in ways like uh, 
waving at him, trying to get him to wave back, give him a fist bump, hoping he will give a fist bump back, or a high five. Give him a high five and I see if he'll do the same thing, if he'll respond. And a lot of times, for the most part, short of him being tired and sleepy or just being shy, being a kid, uh, typically he will oblige. He'll give a fist bump and give a high five, whatever it is. And sometimes he'll get really into it, especially with fist bumps and high fives. He just, I don't know what it is. He will love a high five. And you'll give him a high five and he'll want to do it again. And you'll give him another high five and he'll want to do it again. And you'll realize you just started something that you don't know if you can finish. Because he loves doing that. And I remember just sitting uh, and thinking, as I'm watching him do this with many people, he did it with uh, Jamal, I think, like a couple of Sundays ago just giving them high five after high five. And Jamal was like, I got to do stuff. Um, and I'm watching this boy. And I'm like, oh, that's cute. That's cute. Because, you know, he's a baby. And giving high fives, that's, that's cute. And, and then secondly, because that boy is so naive, he, he don't know any better. He doesn't know life yet. Because life hasn't taught him yet. Life will teach him. Um, he was like, what are you talking about, chap? Life, teaching him about high fives, what are, you, what are you talking about? Well, I have to open up. Can I talk? We family. We talked about family. We family. Uh, I have trust issues, y'all. I have trust issues. And this goes back to when I was a kid. Uh, because I don't know if you have played this game, but there was a game <clears throat> that typically the older kids would play with the young kids. And it'll go something like this. They'll go up to the young kids and they say, give me five. And then they'll go up high, and then they'll go down low. And right before I could smack their hand really hard, they'll pull it back as they too slow. Then everybody will be starting laughing and everything else, and I'm just mortified. Now, it took me a while to get the hang of what was going on, because I would see it all the time. As I got older, it was still happening. Give me five, up high, down low, too slow. I wasn't learning right away. Even when I got older, middle school and stuff, they were still doing it. People standing up by the lockers and everything, and uh, one of the popular guys would be giving high fives and everything. And I'm thinking, oh, this is my turn. I'm ready. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he's giving high fives. And sure enough, when it's my turn, I get my high five, and he goes down like this, and I miss. And everyone's laughing at me. I'm like, ooh, man, that, that hurts. And even, it, and these things used to come out of nowhere. We would be playing a sport or a game in the gym. And you think everybody's getting high fives. And then all of a sudden, too slow. Too slow. And I remember thinking that these high fives are for the birds. I don't want no more high fives. I remember thinking that I'm not doing this anymore. I began to think that every high five was a trick. I was, I was convinced. And so I had some trust issues, right? I, I was convinced that no longer this wonderful interaction was a good thing. I was sure of it. And, you know, some things die hard. Even now, we grown. And, and I know we should be over this, but I know some grown folk play too much. And so even now, when people come and say, high five, chap, and I'm looking at them like, uh-huh, 
Okay. Because I need to know. I need to know. And that kind of goes along the lines of what we're going to be talking about today. And so our sermon title today is exactly what I would think when people give me high fives or look to give me a high five. This looks like a setup. This looks like a setup. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, uh, I say that to say that that's something that I was struggling with. But hear me, hear me. Uh, Don't come after chapel talking about high five chat because I'm going to look at you with the grace of God and just smile at you because I'm not past it yet. We're still working on it. But yeah, there's always something. This looks like a setup. This looks like a setup. Let us pray together. Gracious God of heaven, at this time, oh God, we ask as we approach your throne of grace and as we stand and sit in your presence, we just ask that your spirit moves and speaks to us today. Give us a word that will encourage us, that will fill us, and that will embolden us to do the things that you would have us to do. We thank you, we love you, and we praise you. And it is at this time we give all these things to you, and we know that you will take care of it. And so we thank you in advance, and it is in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. 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 All right. It looks like a setup. It looks like a setup. Now, I cannot be 100% sure since what we're reading in this ancient text is from an ancient Near Eastern culture in a setting foreign from me, uh, written in an ancient language that is a dead language. But if I were to use my Christian imagination, I could imagine that based on the passage that we read and what we will see later on, that maybe, just maybe, Gideon felt the way I felt when people tried to give me high fives. This looks like a setup. This looks like a setup. Because if you just listen to what he said, just in the little passage that we read, he's concerned. When he hears things about what God is doing, what God has done, uh, what God's promises are, he's a little concerned. Just imagine sitting in the wine press, doing whatever you're doing, and remembering all of these recounts of all that God has done. But yet you feel completely alone. Everyone's talking about how God's presence was there and with his people, but in his experience, God's presence seems scarce, if not completely absent. They're talking about all of God's promises, yet his experience says God's promise seems a little suspect if not completely fraudulent. I mean, just think about it. They're supposed to be the people of God. They're supposed to conquer and take over and be the lead, at least in his mind, for everything. Who can be, for, uh, who can be against us as God is for us? And yet in this space, he is sitting in the wine press hiding for his life from another nation that seems to ravage 
and take from them as they please. His questioning of God seems to have some uh, serious resentment wrestled and waged in there somewhere. Uh, because of all that has happened to him and his family and his people. And, and you can only imagine watching this growing up, watching mother and grandmother and family members all leaning to, in on this promise, but yet you're still going through a turmoil that you can't seem to shake. And so he watches these invaders and raiders just have their way as everyone's talking about how God is the provider. God is a deliverer. God is a protector and keeper. And yet he's looking and he's like, I feel like I don't have any of this. Let me add, before I get too far into this, let me just throw in there is that that was what was happening. All of what he was looking for was actually happening at that time. God was providing. God was delivering. God was protecting and keeping. Watch this. He was hiding in the wine press, sifting and going through wheat, beating wheat. That means there's food. That means there's possibly drink and there's possibly protection. He's hiding. He has a place to hide. So all of these things that he's looking for, although not in the way that he would like it to be, he did have. So as the theologian, Dr. Darius Daniels, a graduate of Princeton Theological Seminary points out, the whole time God was protecting him, the whole time. Gideon is handling all of these things and missing that God is keeping him, covering him. And I would argue that maybe because he got a little comfortable. He got a bit comfortable. What do you mean by that, chat? You know, sometimes we can get comfortable with where we are and what we're doing. We just get comfortable. Sometimes we get comfortable in bad situations. We get comfortable because that's where we've been and that's what we've been doing for so long. That's what we know. And we don't want to get too comfortable. It has been said that comfortability, being comfortable is the enemy of success. And so there have been times where God may have to make you a little uncomfortable. Because if you get too comfortable, guess what? You won't move. You won't move. Trust me, I'm, I'm used to this. My wife likes to keep the house zero freezing cold. And then she'll open a window and turn on a fan to boot. And so when morning comes, guess what? I'm comfortable in my bed and blanket. I don't want to get up. I'm comfortable. But in order for me to do what I'm supposed to do, I have to get uncomfortable. Get up and move. And so sometimes we need that. But we cannot confuse that being uncomfortable means we are unkept. God still kept Gideon throughout his journey. And so he's going through all of this. 
and he's having problems trust God. This angel comes, tells him that he's a mighty warrior and to go and to do some things. He's like, I don't know about all this. So he asks for a sign. And so the angel gives him a sign, pretty much say, hey, I am who I am. Do what I ask you to do. So he does it. So he goes and he cuts down the altar to Baal and uh, the pole. And uh, he gives the offering to God. And then he's told to uh, get folks ready because they're about to go into battle. So he gathers a bunch of folks to go with him to battle, to fight these Midianites. And so he gathers people from all different tribes and all different places, Asher, Zebulon, all over. And they come and they form this army, about 32,000 people, all right? That sounds like a lot, but the army they was about to fight was approximately 135,000 with camels and everything. Like, they weren't just showing up on foot. They, they had equipment too. So a camp of about 135 folks, he's about to face with about 32,000. I don't know how your math works, but that don't add up. He's outnumbered significantly. And so I could imagine that Gideon's looking at this like, okay, this looks like a setup. I, I don't know how this is going to go over or how this is going to go through, but 32,000, you told me to get this army together, and you only give me 32,000 against 135? That looks, like I'm, that looks like a setup. This looks like a setup. And so he does it. He gathers his army and they set to do what they're going to do. And then he hears God say, Gideon, that's too much. Too many people. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm already short, several thousand, like tens of thousand men, and then God tells me that you are short, you, are too, you have too many and that you need to cut it down, I'm thinking, hold up. This looks familiar. This looks like a setup. This, give me five up high. I know what's coming. This looks like a setup. But he doesn't. And so he pretty much says, hey, sift your army down. And he does it. And 22,000 of his army leaves. That means, check my math, that means he's left with about 10,000 to face an army of 135,000. They're looking grossly outnumbered. Okay. I got my 10,000, God. Let's do this. And then God says, hold up. Still too many. What do you mean still too many? I have 10,000, 22 more people left than are still here. What do you mean too many? God says too many. 
And so if you keep reading, he asked them, he asked Gideon to cut him down some more. And so as he's having to sift through, his army shrinks even more. Now, he started with 32. Now he's down to 10,000 and more is leaving. Guess what? He doesn't lose half. He doesn't lose a tenth. He does, he's not left with a tenth. He loses a lot of his army, a ton. And he's only left with 300 men. I, I want you to understand. He's about to go into battle with about 135 enemy soldiers that have been raving and raging and taking, just having their way with his people. And God says, take your 300 and we're going to make it do what it do. Now, I don't know if this has ever looked like anything to you before, but just listening to me, that, that looks like it. Set up, high five. I know what's next. 300? I'm not Sparta. 300? That's it? 300. And so he is asked to do this with 300 men. 135,000, give or take, is what he's going up against with 300 men. I hope y'all getting this. 300. And so even more, we can look out, we can read this story and we're like, ah, oh, it's God, he should have it and everything. But I want you to put yourself in his place. He's about to go to war. And he is outnumbered. They don't have a fraction of the army they're about to face. And this is not like they've been practicing for years or anything. He gathered these people up, said, hey, let's do this. 300. And so needless to say that Gideon's a bit nervous. He's a bit doubtful. And so this is what God asked him to do. He tells him to go down and to check it out. Go down, check out the army. And when you go down there, you're going to hear about a dream. And then you're going to hear an interpretation. So he goes down there and he, he does that. And somebody tells this dream of uh, a barley loaf being thrown into the camp. And they interpret the dream as Gideon taking over the camp. So Gideon is going to have a victory here. Gideon is going to have a victory here. And so that's helpful to know that you're going to have a victory here. But you have to understand that up to that point, it looked pretty bad. It looked pretty bad. The Bible says in Judges chapter 7, now the Midianites and Amalekites, all the people of the east were lying in the valley. This is what he's looking to attack. 
were lying in the valley as numbered as locusts, and their camels were as numerous, at, were without number, and as the sand by the seashore in multitude. That's huge. And so he has every right to be nervous. Every right to be nervous. If he didn't think it was a setup before, I know that at this point, can you imagine? You're, you're imagining this, but then you actually get to see it. That's different. That's different. What do you mean by that, chat? But let, let me put it to you this way. Imagine if you had in the bank $135,000. That sounds like, I'm sure a lot of you will smile if you woke up today and you had an extra $135 in the bank. I don't care who you are, you would appreciate that. Thank you, God. Y'all don't have to appreciate I would appreciate it. Thank you, Jesus. 135,000, that sounds good. That sound, and it is good. But it's different if somebody brought a suitcase or a bag and you got to see each bill. That hits different. Each one, I've never personally seen a hundred and thousand anything. I haven't seen it. A hundred and thirty-five thousand dollars all lumped up just for me? Whew, that'd be overwhelming. I, you might see me cry. Tears of joy. A hundred and thirty-five. And so that what I'm saying here is the number sounds good, but when you see, when you have the image, it hits different. And so this is what Gideon is dealing with. He hears the, he knows the number, but then he has to see it. They were lying in the valley as numbered as locusts, their camel without number, and as the sand by the seashore in multitude. So he's, he's like, okay, if I didn't know about setups, I know this is one. This is definitely setup. This is not, it doesn't look like it. I know it for a fact. This is a setup, 100%. But of course he hears the dream, the interpretation, and this reminds Gideon of who is really in charge. But I want you to see the journey to that point. Of course, him and his 300 were successful. Him and his 300 did very well. They didn't have to lay a finger for the most part. God did everything. But up to that point, it was a struggle. It was a struggle. We all can look at this story and we can wonder why Gideon is having trouble and different things like that because we know how it ends and we know how this is going to go. We've read this story before. And we're like, Gideon, just do it. But I want you to really put yourself in that space. And then ask yourself if you would really be able to move as you say you would move or think you would move when you're reading this from the outside looking in. Because the reality is we all are experiencing or have experienced our times where we're asked by God to do something that looks 
hard, overwhelming, difficult. We are put in positions and we are thrust into situations that we're wondering how is this even gonna work? But I want you to keep in mind and hopefully my prayer for you and for me is that at the end of the day, just like Gideon, you realize that, hey, this is bigger than what I thought. That this is a setup. Not in the way that I previously thought that God was setting me up for failure, but God was setting me up for success. You have to realize that the whole time he was in putting things in him and molding him into the man that he needed to be for this moment. God was setting it up. Think about it. God gave him the desire to be free and kept him uncomfortable in a space where when he needed to move, he needed to move. He set him up with a group of people that was ready to go. God sifted out all those that he didn't need and left him with the people that he did to accomplish what he needed to accomplish. Can you imagine having to do what Gideon had to do with over that, with tens of thousands of guys? It's a lot easier to do it with 300. And he presented the enemy in a position to fail. Now, uh, the enemy was in the valley, but they were sleeping. They were sleeping in the midnight hour. They were knocked out. I don't know about you, but in my family, when we go to sleep, we sleep. Like gone. Y'all better ring a bell or alarm or something because we're not getting up. We gone. And in the dead of their sleep, they were at their most vulnerable. They were so thrown off that they were attacking themselves. Success was placed and set up for Gideon. And it worked out just as it meant to. Now, on the way to that, it didn't feel like that. I could, I, I could guarantee, just by reading this passage in the story, see that it may not have felt like he was being set up for success. But he was. And there's times in our life, it may feel like God's not setting, God's setting us up, but not for success. This feels like a setup, Lord. This looks like a setup. God's like, yes, it is. But I need you to see that I'm setting you up for something special. I'm setting you up for my purpose and my call for your life. I'm doing things for your betterment. God says, I have plans for you to prosper. God declares that this is victory. He, you, you remember the angel comes and calls it out. He says, you are a man of valor, mighty man of valor, mighty warrior. 
He was already set, set up. God had already set it up. All he had to do was stay faithful to that. When you're with God, you're on a winning team. The Bible says that you are more than a conqueror. You are his royal priesthood. You realize that you have something over your life, every single one of you. So why would God call you to something that he would expect you to fail in? Why would God set you up for failure? It doesn't make sense. And so we have to be able to realize that what the process truly is, because sometimes I, I know that going through the process, sometimes it feels like the process is like a punishment. And so we receive it as such. And so our attitudes and the things that we're thinking it just feels like God's out to hurt us. But God is actually molding every single one of us, everything. Trust the process. But sometimes there's the things that got to be purged out of us. But the purging feels like persecution. You ever seen or heard of the analogy of how they refine gold? The intense burning and heat that bubbles up all the impurities and then it scrapes off. But in order to do that, it takes heat. It takes some intense burning. And then you're prepped for your purpose. Matter of fact, you're prepped for God's purpose for you. Because like gold, when you're at your purest and your best, when you are what God has you to be, you'll add value to the lives of others. And so I just want you to understand that no matter what you're going through, if you're in a season like Gideon, and trust me, this was a long season for him. This didn't happen over a two-week period. This is a long time, years and years of watching and waiting, hiding and sneaking and lurking. But if you're in a season that feels like you're in turmoil, experiencing pain under conditions that are heavy and stressful, and you wonder, how can I be called? Is this what God is calling me to? How can I be a child of God? Is this how God treats his children? How can I possibly have favor with God in this condition, in this situation. I want to remind you that the setup is made for your good. The setup is not for your failure, but for your future. No matter how hard it gets, no matter how long it takes, no matter what you have to face or overcome the challenges that you have to encounter, just know that God is setting you up for success. And remember that God is with you, you mighty warrior. Remember that you are a person, man or woman of valor. I don't, I don't feel that. 
Do you realize that you are here today because you overcome some things that you probably never thought you would have to do? You're enduring some things right now that others may have given up on. Mighty man and woman of valor. Yes, you are. Celebrate those small victories. Celebrate what God is still doing in your life. Celebrate how God is still keeping you. Realize that you will not be left left or forsaken by God. And remember that this stage of the battle is refining and building you up, setting you up for what God has for you. As I close and the uh, praise team comes up, um, I want you to remember this thought. Because as we transition to communion, I can tell you that this might have looked like a setup to a lot of people. You may be in a space where, for you, it feels like things are set up. This can't possibly work out for my good. But I want you to know that God is able. God is able to make all things work to the good of those that love him according to his purpose. God is able. inspired and encouraged today. Join us next week for another life-changing experience.